Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday night, May 22nd, 2022, May long weekend here in Canada. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton here to break down all the action from an atypical Spanish Grand Prix. Mr. H, how the heck are you tonight? You you look like you've been outside. Isn't it like a wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous weekend here on the Maybe. West Coast? I, I can't get over how good it is. Maybe the first nice weekend that we've had here in the Pacific Northwest since last summer. We've seen everyone <laughs> in the Midwest and in the eastern Pretty part much. of North America enjoying the sun. We've, we've got a little sample this weekend. So it hasn't been hot, about 22 degrees Celsius, whatever that translates into America speak and Fahrenheit. I sh- probably should have known. I apologize to everybody, but it's warm enough that we can be outside with a t-shirt. How's your weekend been, my friend? It's been really good. I went out on the bike yesterday, did some stuff around the house, relaxed, and just been chilling out, enjoying the race and everything like that. It's nor it's long weekend vibes. Let's put it that way. I got fired up the barbecue just before we sat down. I got the kids watching, watching that. So we'll throw some burgers and stuff on after we're done and just uh, enjoy it all. But we're not here to talk about barbecues. We're not here to talk about the weather, although we will talk about the weather in a moment here. But for another reason, it was the 2022 Spanish Grand Prix this weekend. And by Spanish Grand Prix standards, it wasn't too bad. The result, I think, was it was it was I have to admit, it wasn't what I was expected based on what we saw on Saturday. We saw Max Verstappen look like he was going to lay down a thundering lap and take another pole position. Only to run, he just reported like a lack of power. Charles Leclerc out of nowhere looked like he was going to have a stinker of a hot lap after spinning on his first hot lap in Q3. And then just nailed his his sector two and sector three. Eye-wateringly fast lap. Sets up a front row of Max Verstappen and uh, behind him, Charles Leclerc that is. And then you had uh, Sergio and, uh, and, uh, and Carlos Sainz on row two, I guess in three and four. And it was quite a bit of action on the track because, honestly, we don't see a lot of overtaking at Spain, but there was a lot of things going on. And it really was kind of a race that kind of flipped on its head a couple of times. Definitely. Qualifying was interesting for me, partly because I don't think we learned as much from free practice one, two, and three as maybe Mm -hmm. I I thought we would have. I think we came into this race weekend, we talked a lot about it on our Thursday podcast, that teams like Mercedes and and Ferrari and especially Aston Martin brought this host of of upgrades. And at least in the case of Aston Martin, that didn't seem to translate into any significant improvement in terms of classification coming out of qualifying. But you, you saw some positive things from Mercedes and Lewis was 
was particularly upbeat post-qualifying in a way that we really haven't seen from him this year. I think I've yes. been particularly critical of his mood and his attitude this year. It, it seemed as though maybe there was a bit of a, a hangover from Abu Dhabi in terms of kind of his emotional state, but ultimately he came out of qualifying and he was very upbeat and Russell was equally as upbeat, but we also had that front row, which was Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen, the two title contenders, and that wasn't particularly surprising. Of course, that's not necessarily the way the race finished, but I think it was a, a good qualifying session, other than the fact that Aston Martin was dreadful, woefully, woefully uncompetitive in those sessions. Well, we were making jokes about it uh, on the Thursday show that it was the, the, the red-green bull, and it actually turned out to be the, the, the dead bull, because the so-called carbon <laughs> copy of the red bull didn't really pan out for them. I mean, uh, Sebastian and Lance, they qualified in 16th and 17th, and you know, far out of the uh, out of the contention in the race itself. I mean, or sorry, in qualifying, but I mean, they, they had some moments during the race, but let's just take a quick look, because I did misspeak to the, the starting grid, because I mean, it was uh, you know, really a lot of action, a lot going on. So row one, you had Charles Leclerc and Max. Row two, had Carlos Sainz and George Russell. Sorry, I flipped those around. Row three was Sergio and Lewis. Row four, uh, Valtteri Bottas and K-Mag. And then on row five, you had Danny Ricardo and Mick Schumacher. And Mick was an interesting one. You know, he got into Q3. I guess that's the first time in his career he got into Q3. He showed right. some some flashes of uh, things. But then, you know, the, the big talking point, of course, in qualifying was Max losing power on that last hot lap. But somehow he was still managed to to, to hold on to that uh, that P2, keep that, uh, that, that starting uh, place on the front row. And that was a, a bit of a miracle. I mean, he was still maybe about a not quite a tenth ahead of Carlos Sainz, maybe about a quarter second off of uh, Charles Leclerc. And it really looked like it once the race to, uh, the race started, Max and Charles, I think they both had very good starts. And Max really trying to get it uh, or get round Charles in, in, in the first corner. He got close, but it couldn't quite make a move uh, work. And then we saw a lot of stuff going on a little bit uh, further back. We saw uh, George and Sergio tap wheels going into turn two. And then we saw Lewis and Kevin Magnuson tangling up and both of them dropping right back to the end of the running order. Magnuson uh, never really uh, recovered. But, you know, I would not have expected what uh, you know what was going to transpire because it it was just really fascinating because i mean charles was kind of like off in his own little world right because max was having problems with his drs and i guess you know if this is another case to get rid of drs this would have been it because it is a manufactured way to overtake max was pressing the button nothing was happening i thought it was uh, particularly interesting you, you see it in that first drs zone along start finish He'd press the button, nothing would happen, or you know the DRS would open and then immediately close. I thought it was uh, quite uh, quite interesting, but I mean, he could just not really get close enough to George. I mean, he would get a lot of speed, maybe going down that front uh, straight, maybe get to close to maybe try and uh, or, or threaten to make an overtaking maneuver on uh, on George Russell. George would strategically move his car one way or another. And then that was that. I mean, but there, there was that really exciting uh, series when Max actually did get him into turn one. George did not back off uh, an inch, and they basically went wheel to wheel through turns one, two, and three. And then Max uh, basically uh, easing off, going into turn four, where we saw Nico and Lewis come to grief all those years ago. But that was some exciting racing between the two of them. I mean, hard racing. And I thought it was interesting that the stewards noted it. And I was just like, for what? You know, they didn't tangle. Max ran a little bit wide into turn three. But I, was, I thought to myself, if the stewards are going to take issue with that kind of uh, racing, respectful, hard, 
but ultimately not touching each other. Like, you know, God help the future of Formula One. I love I love that moment as well, where the Red Bull team were on the radio with Max Verstappen and they they let him know he had closed the DRS. So if you didn't see the race or you weren't aware of what was happening, it looks like the DRS problems that Max was happening prior to the race trickled into the race and either the actuator or the element itself, something wasn't working. So he would press to open DRS and the wing either wouldn't open or it open for a moment and close again. But there was that one moment when he was on that straightaway heading into T1 and they mm-hmm. get on the radio and they told him, Max, you closed it. And he's like, I closed it because I pressed the button 50 beep times. And <laughs> I thought that I thought that was fun. I thought that was a good moment. Again, maybe you can unpack from that that Max gets a little bit heated and a little bit frustrated sometimes, and I don't think he oh, necessarily yeah. drives well when he's under pressure. But I did agree with you, or I do agree with you, in the sense that it was interesting to watch what Formula One, one is like when you have two top-tier drivers in top-tier cars going wheel-to-wheel without the manufactured aid of DRS. And it got me thinking along the Mm -hmm. exact same path that you were going down, which is what would the sport be like without it? And we know that ideally the FIA and Formula One want to rid themselves of DRS. They want to get rid of this manufactured driver aid. They're just not comfortable or confident enough in the design of the car yet that they feel they can achieve that. And since 2011, DRS has really been designed and I quote out of uh, an ABC article from Australia, but they really talk about the fact that for the last decade, it's functioned as something of an equalizer, that it's designed not as a weapon, but rather it's designed simply to compensate for the fact that if you're following a car in front of you, all that dirty air is causing significant disruption to your car. So it's designed to simply offset that, that negative gain in terms of aerospace. I think this year it's been a little bit more of a weapon to me. I would love to be rid of it. But to that other point as well, there really is only one true overtaking opportunity with DRS in this track. And it's T1 after that long straight. This track just isn't designed in such a way that there's any other effective DRS zones. But I also do agree with that comment that you make about Max and and George Russell going wheel to wheel. I thought that was some fantastic world-class racing. I don't know that it necessarily justified being noted but i also think that george russell had been waiting for this moment obviously he's raced against max verstappen before but never in a meaningful way and never in a mercedes obviously he's been out Mm -hmm. there with max but he's been in a williams car and he's been a back mark and he's been overtaken i thought this was a really really important moment for george russell because he had this opportunity to establish a benchmark, a baseline, send a message to Max. And that message is, look, if we're going to be in near equivalent cars and we're racing, I am not going to give up that position. And you are going to have to fight hard to get that position from me. And I think it said a lot about George. And you know what? I don't know if we want to go there yet, but I think George has been a phenomenal driver this year, maybe the driver of the year in some ways. He's been a total surgeon. And I think that battle with Max says an awful lot about where George Russell is in terms of talent relative to the rest of the field. Let's go there right now. So let's run down the the final classification. Spoiler alert for those of you that uh, complain that we divulge the race results when we do our race report. This is the, you know, if you're waiting for the next season to DTS your SOL. But uh, anyways, (laughs) (laughs) pun intended here. Uh, So uh, P1 was Max Verstappen leading home his teammate Sergio Perez. George Russell getting onto the podium for Mercedes. 
Carlos Sainz coming home fourth, Lewis Hamilton fifth. He would have had fourth if he didn't have to ease off there with some overheating issues right at the end. Valtteri Bottas, P6, another guy that I think has had a pretty good season so far considering the car that he's driving. Esteban Ocon and P7. I think Esteban, another driver that flew under the radar a little bit on Sunday. Lando Norris, who was subsequently diagnosed with tonsillitis, getting into the points in P8, which is phenomenal considering he's been struggling all weekend long uh, physically. Fernando Alonso at his home Grand Prix coming home P9, which is a great result considering he didn't qualify that great, took a, a grid penalty for an engine change, still managed to get a couple of points at the end of the race. Yuki Sonoda rounding out the top 10. Now, so George gets onto the podium. Lewis comes home P5, which is a phenomenal result, uh, considering he ended up uh, basically second from the back after that tangle with uh, with Kevin Magnuson in turn three, and then having a puncture and having to go in and change his tires. However, I, I know that the fan of the day is a fan vote, or sorry, driver of the day is a fan vote. I think that, the, you know, if, if justice was served, it should have gone to George Russell rather than Lewis Hamilton. I mean, Lewis, sure, okay, he went from the back to, to, to P5, but George, he fought with those Red Bulls all day. He fought off Max Verstappen for a long, long time in that second phase of the race. I mean, ultimately, he was past kind of like he was standing still after the second round of pit stops. But I thought that uh, it was just, a uh, you know, from end to end, I thought it was a fantastic drive from, from George Russell. And my wife even said during the race, she said, Lewis is going to get driver of the day. She said it should be George. And I said, I, I totally agree. But, you know, when it's a popularity contest, uh, you know, it, it's, it, you know, that's always going to be maybe not the, the you know, the, the true result. But in my opinion, I thought George deserved it. He was calm. He was collected. I thought he drove a phenomenal uh, you know, so he had a phenomenal strategy fighting off Max and just sticking to what he was going to do, knowing that eventually he was going to get past. I was a little bit disappointed that some of the key overtakes actually happened when different guys peeled off and went into the pits. But hey, it is what it is. And I'm quoting from racer.com here, but they quote George Russell as saying, I feel like this is the start of our season now. I think we probably have, he says, I think we probably have probably have the gap to those front runners compared to the rest of the season. And I think we know there's probably more performance to find. It's been a season of problem solving as opposed to trying to find more performance and bring more performance to the car. I think we've now finally solved our issue and that issue being porpoising. And we can now focus on bringing more performance. So yeah, we're six races behind, but there's no reason why we can't claw this back. And it was reported this last week that when Mercedes did their recent filming session, so I believe it was at Paul Ricard, they had a hundred kilometers of lap distance and it's called a filming session. Teams get two of these a year, but really it's an informal testing session. It's been speculated or rumored that it was there that they were able to finally address and mediate and resolve their porpoising issue. So obviously they brought a slew of upgrades this weekend. It's understood that some of those upgrades were tested at Paul Ricard. That's where they were able to once and for all solve this porpoising issue, which should get them that half second that we've reported they were probably losing per lap leading up to this. So George Russell- Yeah, it looked fantastic. And you could see, you could see on the broadcast that that bouncing seems to have been significantly, significantly reduced or if not removed entirely. So obviously he's in a really good headspace. And again, I don't necessarily, especially given the fact that I've been so critical of George Russell in the past, especially when he was a Williams driver last year. And I think at one point I was even given this hot take that, Hey, maybe the reason that car was underperforming wasn't because the car was bad, but George Russell maybe wasn't as good as some people suggested that he was. But 
mm-hmm. you look at the constructors this year and you look at George Russell's individual performances, fourth in Bahrain, fifth in Saudi, third in Australia, fourth in Imola, fifth in Miami, third in Spain. He hasn't, despite all of the challenges that they've had with that car this year, down on power, porpoising issues, despite all of the issues they've had, he hasn't finished out of the top five, and he's currently sitting fourth in the Drivers' Championship at 74 points. So he's 30, he's 36 points off the, the lead, obviously Max Verstappen, which we'll speak to in a couple of minutes, but he's done a heroic job getting that car into the top five every single weekend. And again, that might be a little bit misleading because if you look at the race classifications for some of those results, he's far off the podium and far off the race finisher. But I think this weekend showed that Mercedes are now a contender for a constructors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, that that delta between, like you say, between him and the drivers at the front, yeah, that that's quite a bit. But the important delta is between himself and his uh, teammate. And granted that Lewis has had issues this year, the car hasn't been to what he likes, what he expects. I mean, we had Toto on the radio after I think it was Imola apologizing how bad the car was. But, you know, having been said that, and I'm, I'm just going to put this out there. I'm just going to put the facts where they are. And I'm not going to try and suggest or infer anything from it. That, uh, you know, George is better than Lewis. But I mean, at this point during the championship, George has been able to do more. Like you say, he's got 74 points, which is 28 more points than his teammate, Lewis Hamilton, who's sixth in the driver's championship with 46 points. And I mean, Lewis must be uh, you know exceptionally frustrated because he takes this thing to P5 after everything that happened at the beginning of the race, sees his teammate get onto the podium. If you're Lewis, you got to be frustrated and thinking I could have been up there. Maybe I didn't have enough to get uh, higher than the third step on the podium. But if George is on the podium, that could have been me as well. And I think it's a great point. I think it's a great comment from George Russell, despite all the struggles that they've had with the car and some even a little bit of bad luck that you don't typically see from uh, or happen to Mercedes or to their drivers that where they are right now, like you say, they are they're four, third in the Constructors' Championship. you got Red Bull on top with 195 points, Ferrari at the second with 169. Again, they left a lot of points out on the track here, and that's going to be a legit concern because if they don't get their act together, they could be dropping through because, I mean, they're only 49 points ahead of a Mercedes who are third in the Constructors with 120. So all of a sudden, this has become more of a three-way race. I mean, to think that Mercedes could be challenging Red Bull at this point seems like a bit of a stretch, but... 
hey, <laughs> Red Bull has not been bulletproof this year. I mean, at times the cars look like glass. I mean, we saw the DRS today. We saw what the issues that Max had in in practice or sorry, not in practice, but in in, in qualifying yesterday. And we've seen it with DNFs throughout the season so far. So th- there are weaknesses there. And if uh, Mercedes are are getting their act together, I, I, I guess... I don't think it's too far fetched to say it's a bit of a shot across the bow to Red Bull and uh, and, and Ferrari that uh, that Mercedes is maybe signaling to them is like okay maybe they're not quite there to win races yet, just yet. I mean Monaco's a lottery. Anybody in any car can win a Monaco. Even a Haas could win, and even a Williams could win given the right circumstances. But I think that what Mercedes did in Spain this weekend basically says if you guys wrote us off. It's far too soon. We've only got a half dozen races under our belt. We still have about 18 races to go for this year, or 17, 15, whatever it is. And the point is, still a lot uh, to, to go before this championship is done and finished and dusted for the year. And I think that uh, you, you can't count them out. Do so at your own peril. I just want to make sure that people know that I'm not going to, because I'm criticized for being a Lewis Homer for obvious reasons, I'm not going to give him a ton of flowers today. I get it, P5, it could have been a P4 if not for the fact that they encountered that cooling issue that could have resulted in a DNF. We all heard the radio. But let's also be honest that Lewis asked the team early on in this race if he should retire the car to quote unquote save the engine that he was in a mental space after he came together with Magnuson he had that puncture he went in he's at the back of the field he was openly volunteering to retire that car and I thought it was shocking I think it was Bono that was on the radio that said no Lewis we still think a P8 is possible but the reality is in a Formula One race in a MotoGP race Anything can happen at any time. It just takes a safety car, a collision, something unexpected to happen in the pits. And all of a sudden, you can catapult yourself deep into the points. And the reality, if, if, he, had, if, he, had, uh, if he had retired as he volunteered to do, then he wouldn't have scored any points. And he scored a P5. And maybe I'm making a lot out of this, but that bothered me a little bit that it's he's same. in a presumably 100%. healthy car and he's ready to retire. And you know, if you go back to 2019 in Germany, he volunteered on the radio to retire as well. He stayed out. I think he scored a P9. But at least in that case, the track conditions were terrible and he had had a small crash. There was damage mm-hmm. to the car. In this case, presumably the only damage was that tire that had been replaced. Like, why not stay out there and fight to get into the points? A P10, a P9 is a better than a volunteer DNF. And ultimately, what are you saving that engine for? At this point in the season, if you took a new power unit in Monaco, the reality is it's a three grid place penalty anyways. Who cares? So that rubbed yep. me the wrong way. And I'm probably blowing blowing it out of the water a little bit because I think what happened is the fact that then he scored that P5 just reinforced the fact that he should never have been asking that question to begin with. But his pace looked phenomenal once he got going he had at one point i think the fastest lap he cracked one 125 one then he went 124 one on the next lap he was mm-hmm. clocking in some major laps and it showed that the mercedes at least on those soft tires has pace equivalent potentially to the ferrari and the red bull yeah you know what that, that comment bothered me as well because it just seemed that you know it, I, I thought to myself well if he's not contending for a win does he not want to be out there because i mean let, let's face it i mean he's not used to being running in the middle of the pack and then where where he was at the start of the race i mean things like that happened we saw that a couple of weeks ago i mean we were talking about after imola with uh, ricardo and Sainz 
uh, you know, tangling at the chicane there because uh, you know, we, we made, I think we were talking about the time that if, if uh, science had not qualified where he did, he would have been further up the, the, the grid away from some of the shenanigans that you see at the start and stuff like that. And that's a position that Lewis, Lewis is uh, obviously not used to. I mean, of course, it, it's not all to do with him. It's a little bit to, to do with the car. I mean, it's a combination of things, right? But it just, uh, like you say, I mean, it, it rubbed me the wrong way as well. I didn't really expect it from him, but it's it's good that the team, you know, told him that he should stay out there, that they felt like a like a P8 was at least possible. And the, the way that uh, they scheduled those pit stops, I mean, it paid off for them and, and then some. I mean, they, they were expecting a P8. They got a P5. And if things had just uh, worked out a little bit better with the cooling issues, like you say, it could have been a P4. So, I mean, that's not really too horrible at all, considering... Where, where Kevin Magnuson uh, ended up uh, <laughs> after it was all said and done. But it, it really is interesting, though. I mean, we see how Mercedes has gone up uh, in the Constructors' Championship. We see again how Red Bull and Max have flipped the tables on uh, Ferrari. I mean, that gap coming into the the, the, the championship in both champ, or sorry, into this race in both championships was was virtually nil. And now uh, Max is uh, he's uh, six points ahead of uh, Charles in the uh, the drivers' championship. Max has 110 points compared to 104 for Charles. Sergio is third with 85. George 74 for fourth, and Carlos Sainz fifth with uh, 65. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a little bit crazy, you know, like uh, considering how it's it's really flipped around. And again, looking at what happened uh, to Ferrari this weekend, I mean, Charles was off all by himself. I mean, I, I'm not 100% convinced had uh, Max been able to get past uh, George Russell in that first phase. It was really interesting how after they had that second round of pit stops and they changed tires, just how much that uh, you know, how much speed Max had. And then just he, the way that he was carving his way through and that, that pass that he made on Valtteri he bought us around turn what was it 11 and 12 before you get to that short section going into the chicane passing Bottas on the outside on a part of the track where I don't think we've ever seen anybody pass in probably modern formula one that that was great that was uh you know that was really cool to see and I mean, in general I mean this isn't really a race where we see a lot of overtaking anyway so I, I I don't really know I haven't had a chance to look up the stats to see how many overtakes we saw this year compared to last year and years gone by but there was plenty of action uh, on the track to keep us interested and plenty of things uh, happening even if it wasn't uh, say overtakings uh, per se but I guess a couple of the big moments as well was early in the race when Carlos Sainz you know managed to put it into the gravel again and I couldn't help but think oh boy here's Carlos you know it's just uh, he's in his favorite place again just like in Australia just like in Imola but then just as I'm, I'm sort of uh, you know thinking and, and trying to figure out what's going on with Carlos Sainz Max Verstappen does the same thing in turn four, goes, runs a little bit uh, funny going into that corner, goes into gravel him, uh, him, himself, and it turns out that there was a, a bit of a tailwind shifting into a crosswind, was making it a little bit unpredictable for, for a couple of the cars, but it was really surprising the way that that uh, Ferrari really snapped around, and very much like uh, we saw with Charles in, in qualifying going into the chicane, it's just like when that car starts, when you lose the rear end on that Ferrari, it really just uh, takes off and, and keeps going, but I mean, he kept it uh, you know, he's managed to keep it out of the gravel or tape, you know, get out of the gravel, I should say. And then the same with Max, but Max, I think recovered a little bit better than the, than Carlos, but that was a bit of a, bit of a weird moment for both drivers. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I was listening to the grid talk podcast earlier today, and somebody had made a comment about the fact that Carlos's season might be unraveling a little bit. And I'm not sure maybe in the emotion of the moment when he went off, I felt that way. And I don't know that I I'm totally 
confident I don't necessarily disagree with that, but it mm-hmm. wasn't a great race weekend for Carlos. Ultimately, he qualifies on the second row with 119-166 in Q3, but he has a terrible start once again. And as much as we can blame that the tailwind and the crosswind for pushing him off track or contributing to the back end breaking and him ending up in the gravel, ultimately he had a terrible start and it's not the first time we've seen him beach a car this year. And at least this time he was able to keep some momentum so he didn't stop and he was able to get himself out of it. And there was a lot of applause and appreciation for the fact that he managed to finish a P4 in a kind of revenge drive or a comeback drive or a recovery drive. But ultimately that recovery drive should never have been necessary to begin with. And people are pointing to the fact that, Hey, Max did the same thing. And, and I get it. Max probably didn't make a mistake. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Maybe there was something environmental that drove both of them off, but ultimately I do blame Carlos for the fact that his team needed him today. Obviously, we expected Charles Leclerc to win this race. He should have won the race. He would have run the race. Some reliability gremlins ultimately got him. But the reality is Carlos needs to find himself in a better position during the race so he can maximize points for this team. And he simply didn't do that today. And if you look at his championship so far, he's obviously had a couple of high profile retirements. We criticized him to no end the last time he ended up in the gravel, but I think this team needs to see better from him. Today could have and should have been the perfect opportunity for him to score his first race win. And I think that would have done a ton, a ton for him from a mental health perspective, because Mm -hmm. I think it's probably starting to weigh on him that his teammate continues to win races this year and contend for race wins. And he keeps up or keeps ending up retiring. And I, I get it. He's had a couple of good drives, but his team needed so much more from him today. And this weekend ended up being a horror weekend for Ferrari. Obviously Charles qualifies on pole. He retires due to reliability gremlins. We're still waiting to hear what exactly those were. Carlos Mm -hmm. scores on a third place start on the front row. He finishes P4, but only finishes P4 because Lewis runs into cooling issues. He probably should have been P5, but that was a recovery drive. I think Ferrari are probably a little bit frustrated, and I think probably no one's more frustrated about his performances thus far than Carlos is, but they need better from him. That Mistakes like that aren't aren't excusable at this point in the season. Well, I mean, uh, we, we've got 16 races to go now, right? So we 22 race season, we got a half dozen under our belts. And the thing is that uh, Ferrari's already had two bad weekends. They had one here in Spain. They had a bad one a couple of weeks ago in Imola. And if you want to, I, I mean, everybody's going to have a bad weekend. Every driver's going to have a bad weekend. Every team's going to have a bad weekend. But if you want to be a title contender, you've got to obviously move beyond it. But then, you know, the, the margin, uh, the, the, the window or the opportunity to have those those bad weekends, you know, they, they, they shrink. You can't have them. You can't have two in a month, especially if you've got designs on a championship like Charles and Ferrari do. Because now, like that, that margin is just a razor thin. I mean, we we, we talked about it last year after uh, Baku when Max had like that. You know, his tire blew up. He crashed into the wall. We we kept. I think we said at the time, uh, you and I, that you know that this could be one of those races that if Max loses this championship, he can look back at to. And and he didn't have too many more races like that, right? I mean, he didn't have like a, too many DNFs where he did compared to the year before in 2020. But now you look at, uh, say, Charles in 2022 with a half dozen races under his belt. I mean, he's had some phenomenal races. He's had some good race or sorry, good results. He's had some very good uh, qualifying sessions. But I mean, he's also had two DNFs when he's been leading the race and should have won both of those races. Right. So I I think that they got to be really, really concerned if you're Ferrari. And also, 
you know, his teammate, you know, Carlos Sainz, like you, Sainz, like you say, I mean, he's just got to get it into, into the right headspace because I think they were even talking about it on Sky that uh, I, I think Martin and Crofty were basically saying the same thing is that he needs to kind of hit that, that, that groove and have a couple of really good races and, and really get, you know, really get back on the horse. But it, it's just unfortunate. And, and I'm kind of glad in a way that, that, that Max had his moment as well, because I think if you're Carlos, if you were the only car that, that had that incident, you ended up in the gravel, then that's going to weigh on your mind. But if, if, if Max has the same issue at, at the same corner, that might be a little bit of a weight off of his shoulder. Carlos might be thinking to himself, well, it happened to me, but it also happened to Max. And we all know how good Max is. He's the reigning world champion. He's one of the, you know, the best drivers on the grid. He had the same issue happen at the same time. So, you know, it, it could help him a little bit in that respect, but you know, Ferrari, I have to worry about them a, a little bit, but I mean, just in general, regardless if it's Ferrari, Red Bull or Mercedes, <clears throat> Pardon me. They've all sort of struggled a little bit with gremlins so far this year. And I think that just makes it a little bit more interesting when it comes to the championship. And if a Mercedes can kind of build on the weekend that they have or that, or that they had, I think that they, at least they have to walk away. We got a podium. Lewis's result was good. It could have been even better. However, there, there's a lot of uh, positives. And if they can insert themselves into that conversation for the championship or championships, I think it just makes 2022 that much juicier when, when it comes to I think, okay, well, we got like six drivers and three teams that have uh, you know, a legit opportunity to, to, to win a race and, uh, and, and three teams that could win a championship. So I, th- I think it bodes well, right? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Since Imola, Red Bull has been rock solid. Since Imola, the last three races, they have scored three race wins, two second places, and a fourth place win. They are fourth place finish. They are, are looking incredibly solid. In the last four races, Ferrari has scored three retirements. In so many ways, Ferrari has left the door open for a Mercedes resurgence. And I think if we look at the post-race comments from Total Wolf and Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, they believe that that car is now near or at an equivalency to that Ferrari. Ferrari may really, in so many ways, and, and you know, I apologize for the terrible cliche, they may have shot themselves in the foot here because they left that door open. And right mm-hmm. now there is almost 30 points, 27 points between Ferrari and between Red Bull. There's still a whopping 49 points between Mercedes and Ferrari, but that gap should be significantly bigger than it is. And you know, you talk about the fact that we're six races in, there's still 16 races left for Mercedes to start building. And I think what George has done so far is a monumental job of scoring points when maybe he shouldn't have been scoring as many points and continuing to cling, cling to to the cape 
that Ferrari has been wearing so far this season, and it puts mm-hmm. them in a really good position. So right now, Mercedes is 120 points. We should expect more from them. It looks like the upgrades have been effective. It looks like the porpoising should be effective. They could possibly bring a refreshed power unit or add a new power unit to the pool in the next couple of races. I feel like Mercedes is now in a really, really great place. And if Lewis is in a great headspace, and it sure sounded like he was this weekend with the exception of that one radio call, this is the team <laughs> that Ferrari should definitely be definitely be worried about because if Ferrari is looking to contend with Red Bull for either a driver's title or a constructor's title, well, they could start splitting points with Mercedes. In fact, Red Bull could start splitting points with Mercedes. So what we could now see, and it's far more likely than what we were looking at at this point last year, is we could really now see a three team fight for the constructors. I don't know that I don't know that Lewis or George are going to be in a position to contend for a driver's title, but certainly we could have three teams battling down to the wire for a constructors title this year. That would be exciting. But you know, I was thinking as you were talking there, the kind of vibe I'm getting for, from Ferrari right now is kind of like a a 2017-2018 vibe and maybe it's not Seb fighting Lewis and it's not Ferrari v Mercedes. It's kind of like Ferrari v uh, Red Bull and Charles v Max. But I, I kind of getting that vibe right now. I mean, like the Seb that year in 2018, especially, I mean, it was going back and forth between himself and Lewis that, that first half of the season. Second half of the year after, uh, especially after Spa going to Italy and then Singapore and it, it went downhill from there. But I mean, the first half of the year it kind of seesawed back and forth and it was really exciting. But Ultimately, it was it was Ferrari and Vettel that they, they kind of let themselves down. It just it seemed whenever like like the uh, I, I guess I could use any number of uh, cliches here, but whenever the stakes were really really high, it was uh, Mercedes that always came through. It was always Lewis that came through. It was always Bottas that came through. And whenever you know the stakes were high, it was Ferrari or their drivers kind of let themselves down. I mean, and that that, that was kind of like uh, you know Raikkonen sort of in his tail end of his Ferrari career. He was kind of there, but he wasn't really pushing Vettel, and he was just kind of doing his own thing. But Vettel, you know, I I I think he fought really really well, and they had some really really good moments, but they just weren't able to perpetuate it. And the second half of the year, compared to where they were at the beginning of the year. Yeah, they they just kind of faded it away, and then it was it, it was a season that I I think really had I think you can look back at it and and fairly say that that is one that got away from them, and, and who knows I mean the, the chapters all the chapters in this book for twenty twenty two are still to be written, but certainly there's a lot of there's a lot of red flashing lights going off at Marinello over what we've seen through the first half dozen races of the season, both with the car. Both with the drivers, well, maybe Charles, or sorry, more uh, Carlos than, than than Charles. But I think you have to, I think you have to be concerned if you're a Ferrari. Definitely, they just they looked so solid in those first two races, a one-two and a two-three. Mm. They still scored that race win in Australia, but obviously they had a retirement which hampered their overall efforts. You know, I, I don't want to flash back to 2018, but I agree that this has shades of that, and it's it's earlier. Like I, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. I think Ferrari was much more competitive, much deeper into that season, at least a race or two following the summer break. But it wasn't a sure thing that year that that Lewis Hamilton was going to win a driver's title and that Mercedes were going to win a constructor's title. It looked like Merce- or Ferrari was not only on par with Mercedes, but that they had a significant advantage from a power unit perspective. And we all now know, and of course you go into 2019, you add Charles Leclerc to the mix and the team just falls apart chemistry-wise. But this year it's it's a little bit, 
disconcerting. And you're right, Charles Leclerc this year has looked like a world champion the way he's been driving. And it was heartbreaking today as well to see that moment when he suddenly lost all of that power from that power unit. And you knew there was no recovery drive. There was no coming back from that. There was no pit stop that was going to cure that ailment. So it was a little bit heartbreaking in that moment, but it was especially disappointing that the, his teammate, Carlos Sainz, hadn't positioned himself in such a position that he could then kind of swoop in and capture as many of those points as possible to preserve something of a weekend for that team. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really interesting, too, when you tra- saw Charles get out of the car. I mean, he just looked like really, he looked emotionally shattered. He looked very, very just bleh. Like it, it just like he couldn't believe what happened, and you, you could tell he was really, really disappointed. I mean, you got to give the guy props because that that Q three lap that he threw down there to 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 take pole, I mean that that was phenomenal because I mean his Q sorry his sector one time in that final hot lap just was not on the pace, and then somewhere in sectors two and three he just nailed it. He went purple in two and three. And he was just, he, he just smoked everyone. I mean, he deserved that pull. I mean, ultimately, we'll, we'll never figure out what what Max had left uh, for, for an answer because uh, obviously he never got to throw down that second hot lap. But I mean, Charles, I mean, he he was up against it, right? I mean, he, he spins coming into the, the, the chicane for his first hot lap in, in Q3. So he doesn't pull that off. He's got to go back in and change the tires. So he gets one opportunity to throw down a hot lap and he does it. And I mean, that, that was a great response. I mean, th- that, that proved to me that, that, that Charles Leclerc, not, not that I've had significant doubts about, you know, the, the, the mental fortitude of, uh, of Charles Leclerc, but I think that he really, really did a good job in the face of some really big pressure to, you know, to, to get that done. And ultimately I, I think that's going to make it more disappointing uh, for, for him, but let, let's move on now. Oh, sorry. Did you want to say something to that? Because yeah, I, wanted I think to- the only thing I wanted to add, and I promise I'll make this quick as I'm sure all you're good, looking at the good. clock. The only other thing I, I really like to see today is after he went into the garage, he made time to go and hug every single person in that garage, every mechanic, every team member, every media person went up, shook hands with Matteo Bonato. I thought that was a really great reaction. Maybe that's not the reaction that would happen if this is race 18, 19, or 20, and he separated (laughs) from the driver's championship by 20 points. But I thought that was a nice reaction because I think for a lot of drivers in that moment, your frustration lays with the team. I'm out here. I put this car on pole. I am leading the race by an ungodly amount of time. And the power unit fails on me that I'm going to point my finger, at least in my head, to somebody at the factory or somebody in the garage. The sensor wasn't connected properly, whatever the case may be. But I thought it was endearing to the team that he made an effort to go and hug every single person. Yeah, uh, I, I think that was like a real good indication of like just how they all are functioning as a team. So, I mean, hopefully for them, they, they they can overcome some of these issues, the mechanical gremlins that they're having with the car, because it would be a shame to see them robbed of the opportunity to challenge for a title or win a title or titles just through some of those uh, things. But hey, that that's Formula One. I mean, you pretty much have to be perfect. Or you know you're going to be crying come the uh, the the end of the year. I mean, I, I don't have really much more the, than that to, or to add to this discussion. Even that, that uh, other than that, uh, Charles said that they can't afford to have uh, any more DNFs uh, like they've had uh, this weekend uh, and recently. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Sergio Perez saying that uh, he believes it's time for them to talk, and that uh, he means uh, that they himself and Red Bull after, you know, the basically he had to swap around or not uh, race with the, with a Max uh, Verstappen. 
And I, I really don't know if there's, there's really too much in this one. I mean, basically, I'll, I'll read the quote. So um, anyways, they, they talked uh, about it. And uh, uh, Sergio's kind of quote was, I'm happy for the team, but we need to speak later. I think it was close, but at the end, it is a great team result. I'm happy for that. Uh, we were on different tire strategies at the time. I let Max buy in the beginning. I thought it was time I could go by and not lose crucial seconds to make my strategy work. But anyways, it is a good team result, end quote. So, Mark, I don't know if there's much of a discussion here. Max is the reigning world champion. He's been the big dog at at Red Bull for a number of years. Why did we see Danny Ricardo leave after 2018? He saw the writing on the wall. He knew that this was Max's team. Everybody was going to be pulling and, and, and working hard for Max. And, you know, honestly... I, I can sympathize with 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 Sergio, but I don't really think that there's too much for him to really, you know, argue. I mean, I think he's justified in voicing those concerns or his opinions that uh, you know that that you know when it comes to team orders. But at the end of the day, he's the number two at Red Bull. He's the number two to Max's number one, both figuratively and literally, because Max is rocking the number one on his car, and he is the number one driver in that team. And he's basically the Valtteri Bottas or the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, anybody else that's always a number two in that team. He's going to get his chance to, to, to win some races from time to time. He'll get chances for podiums. But ultimately, th- this team is always going to favor Max Verstappen. And, and, you know, sorry, Sergio, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And if he didn't know that he wasn't the number one driver coming into this race weekend, he definitely does. Now, I think if he has any reason to have a little bit of scorn for the strategy team at Red Bull, it's perhaps only that one moment where George was putting that amazing defense on Max Verstappen and Max's DRS was down and and Sergio Perez was on fresher tires with significantly better pace. I think maybe that's the only moment in the race where there should have been or could have been a little bit of authentic discord between Sergio and the team. Maybe in that moment when you have better pace than your teammate and your teammate can't get past the Mercedes in front, maybe you give him a shot so at least he can get in front of Russell and put some distance between him and the Mercedes. Ultimately, that didn't happen. But in terms of giving up that spot late in the race, that was always going to be what was going to happen. And I know a lot of people shed an awful lot of tears on F1 Reddit and F1 Twitter about this having happened. But what did you expect was going to happen? Did you expect that they were going to allow the two of them to race and use up crucial tires and use up put crucial crucial componentry within those engines to let them race and then possibly make contact and sacrifice one or both of their races? It was never going to happen. That in that position, if they're trailing that close together, that late in a race, they're always going to give the position to Max Verstappen so he can build on his championship lead. They were never going to allow them to race. I think the only only moment of authentic discord for Sergio Perez, like I said, would have been that moment where he was trailing Max and Max couldn't get past George because George was putting up that epic defense and Max's DRS wasn't functioning correctly. Maybe in that moment you let him through, but I think it was pretty clear and has been pretty clear all year that this team is all about getting Max a World Drivers Championship. And you saw that last year, even the strategy decisions they were making over the last four or five races were never about scoring a constructor's title. It was always about that driver's title. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, th- this year is all about uh, winning another. Uh, it's about winning a constructors' title, but it's also helping Max defend that world championship. Right. I mean, that th- that's what it is. And you know, I I, I can understand why uh, Sergio would be. You, you know, I I totally respect and understand his point of view. But I mean, he's he is to Max what Valtteri was to to Lewis all those years. So. That's uh, that. That's just what it is. But you know, I I meant to say this a little bit earlier on. We were talking about Max and the 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 DRS and talking about he hit the button like twenty times or whatever like that, fifty times. Uh, the, the, when I heard that during the race, I said to my wife, I "said You know, if you're like walking around downtown, you see somebody standing to trigger like the pedestrian signal. I bet you Max is that guy that presses the button and the light doesn't change right away. He sits there and presses it like forty other times, and it's like, oh, come on, you know. It's just like I think he's kind of like that. And I think Martin Brundle said something about the time that Max was racing mad, and I I, I went and checked on F1 Live or F1 TV Pro, I should say that uh, I went onto Max's comms, and he was getting a little bit kind of frustrated." Uh, for for sure i mean there was like an awful lot of uh, dead air as well but it's like every time max got on the radio for a little while there you could absolutely hear the the the, the frustration in in his voice okay so we talked about the big teams why don't we talk about some of the other ones i think that if um you know if it's it's our judgment that the driver of the day was between lewis and george russell i think that we should at least give some honorable mentions here I think that Esteban Ocon, who started or qualified 12th and finished 7th, uh, deserves uh, an honorable mention. And then so does uh, Fernando, who started dead last after that uh, engine change and grid penalty. You know, P9 deserves a uh, you know honorable mention. I'm still so surprised how popular Fernando is. Did you notice during qualifying, every time he was on the track, there was like this big wall, this big wave of cheering that followed him around the track? And not quite so much for, for Carlos Sainz, who's also Spanish, who's driving for a team that has a very competitive car, who has a chance to win that race. And is driving a Ferrari, you know, the, the the reception was not quite the same. I thought it was interesting. And then I think that that if you know, if the main two uh, protagonists or contenders for driver they were Lewis and and George, I think the number one honorable mention has to be Lando Norris, who was just in miserable shape all weekend. And like I said at the top of the show, was subsequently di- uh, diagnosed with tonsillitis to come home in P8. <laughs> you know, I I think you got to give him some, some props there for struggling through that. I mean, it was also 37 degrees yeah, air temperature. I'm sure it was a lot hotter in the car and to be feeling physic- physically miserable, pardon me, on top of that, I think you got to give uh, a little bit of love to, uh, to to Lando Norris. Definitely, I think that was a, a a nice call out for Fernando Alonso. Obviously, he didn't qualify particularly well, despite this being his home race, and obviously he's adored. And there's always a huge pro pro turnout for Fernando Alonso when he's back in Spain. But he ultimately started pretty deep in the order because he took a fresh power unit. So. That may have been a bit of an advantage, but ultimately he did look fantastic. He looked very, very racy in both him and his teammate, uh, uh, 
Akon finished in the points, which was nice to see. I think the other side, the other flip side of that coin when you're talking about McLaren is Daniel Ricardo. I, I think that this race in so many ways encapsulates everything about the 2022 championship for him, which is just pretty miserable that ultimately he he qualified okay, but he finished well outside of the points once again. And if you look at his his finishes so far this season, despite the fact that he's in a very capable Mercedes-powered McLaren, he finished 14th in Bahrain, retirement in Saudi. He finished 6th in Australia, his only points finish of the season. He finished 18th, 13th, 12th. He has 11 points on the season. He looks miserable. And I think if this continues, unlike last year, where we talked about the fact that, hey, he's adjusting to a new team and a new power unit and a new car and a new chemistry and a new engineer. I think that a lot of the benefit of the doubt that Daniel Ricardo had last year is gone. I get it. It's a new car, but he was involved in the development of this car because he was with the team for the entire year preceding the start of 2022. I think there's reason now to be concerned about Daniel Ricardo. And you talk as well about the fact that his teammate was qualified with tonsillitis. Did I say qualified with tonsillitis? Was diagnosed. He did not he did not qualify <laughs> into tonsillitis. He was diagnosed with tonsillitis. His teammate was wretchedly sick, arguably shouldn't have started this race at all, but still finishes P8 and brings home some valuable points from for that team. So I think we got to keep our eye on Daniel Ricardo this year because so far the campaign's been pretty miserable. Yuki Sonoda finishes 10th in the points. Great finish for him. Pierre Gasly, after coming off a really strong 2021 campaign, finishes 13th. He hasn't been in the points now since Australia. The back half of his season so far has been pretty miserable. And I think within the Red Bull family, they're going to start having to ask some pretty difficult questions about what the future of the drivers are for that team as well. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And just uh, one other thing, just to add a little bit of context to the, the the McLaren issue there. Lando has 39 points. He's seventh in the drivers' championship. Ricardo 11 points puts him 12th in the in the championship. I mean, he wow. he's right in there between the the Alpha Tauri drivers, which is kind of whereabouts you would expect to see them when it comes to uh, you know the the, the championship. Uh, anyways, uh, another team. Just so we start to to wrap it up here uh, slowly. Mark is. Uh, I think that uh, was another good uh, weekend. Uh, for, for Valtteri Bottas, uh, you know, I think that he's doing some pretty decent things in that Alfa Romeo. Um, you know, it's not what you'd expect to, to, to see as a team like that, where they are. Uh, I mean, uh, Bottas, I mean, he was six. I mean, he was quite a bit off the, off the pace, but he was one of the last cars, one of the only few cars that uh, didn't get lapped uh, because um, Max lapped everybody up to uh, and including Fernando Alonso in, uh, in P9. So Valtteri, uh, he had a, I, I think he had another pretty good uh, weekend out. I mean, uh, I, I think he's right about where he should be, but compared to where that team's been for the last couple of years, I think that's, uh, you know, quite a positive uh, development. I mean, certainly I think with the uh, Zhu Guan Yu and, uh, and Valtteri Bottas, I think they got a pretty decent uh, driver pairing and not, not to hate on Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, you know, I, I like Kimi when he was in in his prime but i think that that's what that team needed was was a t- was a driver that still had something to or still has something uh, to to offer i think that kimmy probably hung on for a a couple of seasons uh, too long but another team I think that left a lot of points out on the track are going to go away, uh, you know, looking, doing some navel gazing or wh- whatever it is when you're, you're upset and disappointed, uh, has to be Haas. I mean, they, they qualified very well. K Mag qualified in eighth, uh, Mick Schumacher qualified in 10th at the end of the day. It was not a great finish. Ma- uh, Mick Schumacher didn't finish in the points. He finished in P14, one lap down. 
Kevin Magnuson, after tangling with Lewis, just puttered around at the back of the running order the entire afternoon. He finished in P17. So, I mean, they, they look pacey. They look good in, in qualifying. You had to think that between the two of them, you, you would think at least Magnuson might have gotten some points out of this one. So they go home uh, empty handed. And uh, a, a very disappointing afternoon from from for, for the Williams drivers and for uh, for Aston Martin. Aston Martin, obviously, they, they had that, you know, big upgrade package and all that criticism a couple of days ago that they've basically got a carbon copy of that uh, of the Red Bull and there were some uh, you know discussions about you know are there some IP infringements what with the uh, I forget his name now pardon me their new uh, designer who used to work for for Red Bull so Yes, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so there, there, there's that, and you and I were, uh, you know, joking about it. It's more of a dead bull than a red bull, but it, it, it's a new car, and as long as that there aren't any infringements uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, the the the, the rights associated with uh, the, the the red bull IP, then there's nothing wrong in copying somebody's concept and you know your own take on that. I mean, it kind of goes back to the pink Mercedes uh, when it was the racing point a couple of years ago, but. They're going to need to get it sorted out. I mean, Vettel wasn't too far off of the points. I mean, he was just uh, behind Yuki at the end in P11. But again, no, you know, P11 is still no points. So they got to be uh, disappointed from that. Lance tangled with, uh, I think it was uh, Pierre Gasly in turn one and uh, got turned around. And that was kind of a, a uh, an anonymous race weekend uh, for, for poor old Lance Stroll. I mean, neither of them qualified very well. Lance only qualified P18. And uh, Seb, he qualified in P16. And of course, what with all some of the changes in the uh, in, in the penalties and stuff like that, they started 16th and 17th. So, you know, not a great uh, start to the weekend, but who knows what they can do with this car from here. So, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we should probably show a little bit of love to Nicholas Latifi as well. He's out qualified by a quarter of a second by his teammate, Alex Albon, but he ultimately finishes ahead of his teammate, which is probably something that's very, very good for his self-esteem and kind yep. of emotional well-being right now. So that was that was nice to see. Obviously, uh, Nicholas Latifi, a really good guy. And finally, do we have enough time to do a quick fantasy update? Because the by all means, fantasy go for it. update just came in. And I've been telling people that it's far too early to give up on your fantasy team. I know we're four, five, six races into the season. The championships are still very, very much up. So right now, Jesse H., who has been rocking the show for the past month and a half, is fallen out of the top 10. And I'm going to run down real quick. No, really? Entering the top 10 at number one, Thaddeus F. with 1,400 points. Number two, Hannibal M with 1,384 points. Bradley P with 1,354 points. Number four, Matthew B. The Scuderia Ballard, 1,353 points. Number five, Jeffy O with 1,349 points. Number six, Cameron N, 1,346 points. Number seven, Scuderia K's, Roland K, 1,345 points. Number eight, Scuderia... I can't quite read that because my vision's not great. But number eight, more T, 1,336 points. Number eight, Aziz Motorsports, Aziz H, 1,136 points. And then number 10, so those last two are tied for number eight. And number 10, Marshall W, 1,333 points. So the championship, the Skidaria F1 featuring Vincenzo Landino Fantasy Super League has been flipped on its head. So if you are still playing Continue to do so. Continue to update your team. Keep your eyes on the standings because there's a lot of championship left and a lot can still happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's uh, some big changes in the uh, in the fantasy league uh, this week. So that's uh, pretty cool. So watch this space, uh, as they say. Well, sir, I don't have anything else uh, to add to this one. Uh, I think it was uh, it was uh, enjoyable as far as it goes uh, for for the Spanish Grand Prix. Lots of uh, interesting things happened both on and off the track as we've tried to break down as best uh, we can. But hey, it's time to park it here. We still have another day to go on this long weekend. So on behalf of myself and Mr. Mark H. Oh, one thing I just wanted to mention, I had a, an email just to really quickly hear from JJ in H-Town uh, last, uh, it was after the last race, and uh, JJ wasn't uh, too happy about uh, some of the, um, I think it was the commentary on the, uh, where is it now? Um, on F1 TV Live. I think it was more to do with the the actual F1 TV Live rather than the international feed. So if you're watching the the F1 uh, like F1 TV Pro, you can swipe to the right and go from F1. I think it says F1 Live or whatever. Go to international. You can switch between them because he wasn't very happy with the uh, very pleased with the uh, color commentary from from John Watson a couple of weeks ago. I think JJ was thinking it was John it actually was watching awful. the same race as the the rest of us were. So it was yeah. awful. Yeah, yeah. Swipe to the left to go down, pick international. You'll get Crofty and Brundle. Brundle maybe has his issues on the pit walks <laughs> or the grid walks, but that's uh, that's something different. I still think that Crofty and Martin Brundle and the, the Sky team do a fantastic job. So, you know, JJ, maybe uh, consider uh, checking that out. Anyways, barbecue calls, long weekend calls. On behalf of myself and Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you for listening, downloading the show. Thank you for, the, the, for those of you that popped into the live stream on YouTube tonight. Uh, if you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScooterF1Pod on Twitter. Send us an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Catch you guys in a couple of weeks. But for now, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. <laughs>